but we also do nice things, you know. Uh, we eat at nice restaurants, you know. Occasionally, we'll go to have a two hundred dollar meal. Uh, we live in a nice neighborhood. We flew business class when needed. Um, I gave my parents business class tickets to come visit us. Um, but we do all of that with cash or money that we know we have, we can spend. It doesn't become uh, something we put on a credit card and then struggle to pay off later. That's the key. No debt. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. All righty, everybody. Hello and welcome back. Another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. This is episode 153. Jace, what's going on, man? How are you? Doing pretty good. Just on uh, the last leg of our road trip. So I've been traveling most of the week and uh, ready to get back into the swing of things. How about you? Yeah, you guys, you're unable to go really, I guess a couple places are open abroad, right? But unable to go abroad. You've had some uh, vacations canceled, right? Or been able, unable to travel. So where'd you guys all go? Yeah, so we ended up just taking a road trip and uh, went mainly some of the major East Coast cities in the southern, eastern part of the United States, Nashville, Charlotte, Atlanta, went down to Destin for, for the beach and then uh, over to New Orleans and then going to be headed back. So it's been a good little road nice. trip, something that I never thought I would probably do with two little kids, but it's been phenomenal and we've had a pretty good itinerary and had a lot of fun <laughs> doing it. Been doing a bunch of biking and, and seeing the sights, so it's been fun. What stood out to you? Which city? One particular or no? You know, we, we've always wanted to go to North Carolina. We've never been, my wife and I. And there's a couple places that I really want to go there. One was the, the National Whitewater Center. So we did that. That's probably been the, one of the bigger highlights. Stayed at the Biltmore there in Asheville and, and rode mountain bikes up in the up in the mountains there, which was a big highlight too. But all of them have been great. There's always there's highlights of all of them. I mean, it's been a phenomenal trip. It's <laughs> it's like a cruise on land. My kids wake up from their nap yeah. in the afternoon. We're in a new spot. <laughs> How many hotel? Uh, how many bottles of shampoo collect from the hotels? Dude, that's it's funny you bring that up. We were talking about this a little bit. Traditionally, I've always like stayed at hotels and and been able to take a couple of the extra shampoo bottles or whatever home. And you know, some people might think that's cheap or whatever, but a lot of these places have pretty nice shampoos and and conditioners. Well, I've started to see a trend <laughs> where they don't give you the little sample bottles anymore, and they're just in in pump bottles. And so, about half the places we stayed had the pump bottles and the other half had bottles that I could take home. And, and, you know, it's just one of those things like it helps us remember the trip for a little bit longer. And like some of these things, especially the ones we've done international, I mean, they are, they are like, just like top of the line fragrances that we end up bringing back. And, you know, some of them, if we've stayed at a place for a week, you know, that'll last <laughs> us like a month or two. And, uh, yeah, they're, the hotels are trying to tighten up their budgets and, and changing some things. That's one of the things they've changed. A couple of the brands for sure. No, it's funny you mentioned that because when we went out, we drove up to Niagara Falls just for a day or something and you know, a couple of days and same same thing there it was stuff in a hotel with pump bottles so anyway but i remember i used we used to i used to collect those all the time you know i just oh I just yeah i stayed in hotels as much as as much recently but 
<laughs> yeah, I had it. <laughs> I so think I ended anymore. up between traveling for work and pleasure and stuff. I think I ended up getting like a a year stash. And like some of this stuff is like, like I said, I mean, it is nice, <laughs> nice you you know, name brand stuff. Up, yeah. <laughs> and it was great. I just like pop a new bottle. I'm like, oh man, I remember that hotel we stayed at in Bulgaria. Or, yeah, I remember that hotel st- we stayed at in France and it just kind of brings back, you know, they always say that like smell is one of those things that triggers like experiences and stuff and takes you back. And for me, a lot of times it's those the hotel fragrances or whatever is at that hotel. Like there's been times where we've tracked down like what they had, what brand they had, you know, to bring it into our own house. Cause it's just, it, it's one of those things that's just so inviting and it's memorable. And <laughs> now I'm, now I'm getting my bottles cut. So it's all good. Oh man, that's fun. That's yep. fun. Your wife on board with that? Yeah. I mean, she kind of joked about it at first, but she sees the purpose <laughs> after a while. She's like, man, this is kind of nice. Like I get to like kind of re, re experience, you know, our trip a little bit. You know, it depends on where we go too. I mean, sometimes they're like, ah, we don't really care to keep them, but most of the time, like, especially if they're yeah. staying there four when or five days. At the, yeah. You don't need to yeah, like, when you're staying use at it. the Howard Johnson, it's maybe not as enticing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, funny. So last week, just a quick recap. We had Gino. He was a guest interview, real estate investor. Interesting interview with him. He talked about getting started in real estate. He owned a restaurant and worked at a restaurant with his brother and and talked about shifting from that into real estate and about what he currently invests in now. So interesting interview with Gino. Today's show, we have an interesting interview with Daniel. Daniel, he works currently in tech. He grew up in Brazil, came to the States in 2003, so been here about 17 years. He has a couple kids, a net worth of 1.6, which is invested primarily in equities and stocks. We interviewed Daniel in mid-April or towards the end of April. And at that point, he had dropped about $200,000 from the dip in the stock market due to COVID. And he, I think he went 1.6 to 1.4 or, or what, Jace? 1.6 to 1.5. He was back up to 1.6. Now I assume he's probably 1.7, 1.8-ish around yep. there. So really cool, fun, interesting interview with Daniel. If you're interested in being on the show, send us an email. Our email is millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. Same thing if you're interested in sponsoring the show. We're looking for new sponsors. Or if you're interested in multifamily real estate opportunities and you're an accredited investor. So shoot us an email. Or if you just want to talk or touch base, we had a few people reach out this week that I've been able to connect with. And, and it was fun to, it's always fun to connect with our listeners. So again, our email is millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. But without any further delay, let's get right into today's show with Daniel. Daniel, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and kind of what you're up to now? Uh, yes. Um, so thank you for the for having me on the show. I appreciate the, the opportunity. I am 42 years old. I work in technology. Originally grew up in Brazil, came to the United States about 17 years ago, 2003, uh, to work. And have been working in technology since then. My over the years that I worked here in the United States, grew a family, had awesome uh, work opportunities, grew a career, and that helped um, build the the net worth that we are going to talk about today. But I'm a father of two young boys, and we're based in Phoenix, Arizona. Awesome! Yeah, let's get right into that. So, what is your net worth today? Uh, about 1.6 million, and that's about as of April. A little down from 1.7 right before this whole pandemic, COVID-19 started. So we're still not seeing the full recovery, but I'm pretty sure it will come in the future. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit. So just down a hundred grand. Did you go b- lower than that? You know, a few weeks ago, we were recording this towards the end of April. Did you go lower than that 1.6? We kind of had yeah. a recovery a little bit. So call it, maybe you lost a couple hundred grand just, just in the market yeah. correction. 
Yeah, I think you, the lowest point was like 1.5. Okay. Um, and then now as we speak, it's at 1.6, so about halfway recovered. Awesome. And how is that broken up? So um, we have a couple parts. So the there's an emergency fund that we keep in cash. It's about $88,000. And then retirement funds, uh, pre-tax of four hundred seventy. Uh, we have a brokerage account after tax with a 262 in it. Uh, we have a college fund for our two sons. They're six and four years old now. So between the two of them, we have about 50K there. Our cars, we drive used Hondas. They're worth combined 16K. And then real estate, total 710. And that's broken down in our primary home, which is 580-ish. And then two rentals, uh, they're worth combined, uh, 130k. It's all paid for cars and the, the, the real estate. So we don't have any, any debt at this point. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that because that's pretty rare for, for most of our millionaires. Was there a method to the madness of getting that all paid off? Did you buy your house in cash right off the bat or just get real aggressive paying off the mortgage? How did you come to, to having a paid for mortgage and paid for rentals? No, we we had mortgages at one point, so, but we did, we always did a short and, and I think I started with a twenty year mortgage, and then I refinanced to fifteen, and then once we paid uh, other consumer debt, uh, we got rid of our car loans and our student loans. We took as much as we could and applied towards the mortgage every month. So a fifteen year mortgage we paid like in seven. So we were done when I was. 39 years old. So that was before my 40th birthday. We're done with the mortgage. But what we did, we followed the, the Dave Ramsey method, the seven baby steps, and basically just stick to that for a total of seven years. In, in these seven years, we we paid off a total of $330,000 in debt. That includes the house. Uh, we paid both cars. We paid off the student loans. Both my wife and I have MBA. So we, we borrowed for the degrees, paid both of them. And then after that was paid, then we 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 did the the house and then got rid of it in in a pretty accelerated time. So we haven't had any debt since 2017, basically. And did you buy the rental properties after you paid the house off? Yes, we paid the house first, and then what we did is we invest the money that was going to the mortgage in the financial markets, so mutual funds typically. We like to let them grow there first, as we study the real estate market. So once we grow and it's you know enough money there then we take it off the mutual funds and then we pay cash for the properties so we did that twice did once in 2019 and did another just now like in the beginning of this year february awesome awesome congrats so i want to come back to that real estate but first let's kind of jump back in your story a little bit i know you said you came to the u.s right when you were 26 and, and then tell us what happened there how, how did you kind of find your first job how did you get settled in what was your first job, if you're comfortable sharing that? And then sure. I know you paid off over, you said you paid off debt, but you, you didn't tell us it was over $300,000, right? Of yeah. Debts that you paid off. So yeah. that's pretty it's remarkable. That's quite a lot. Yeah, that's quite a lot. Yeah, so uh, like I said, I grew up in Brazil, came to the U.S. in 2003 um, on a work visit. So it was a work as a technology auditor at the time. I was making $60,000 a year. And when I came to this country... Um, I had 10,000 grand. That was it. That's all I had. So I had to go buy a car, first thing, and then rent an apartment. 
so I bought, um, I used Plymouth Breeze, if you remember, back in the day, which fell apart in like two years. I had to move on from that. Um, and then basically just work, you know, uh, met my wife here. We got married, had two kids, um, and just, you know, was successful in working in corporate America, got promoted several times. Over the years, the income went up, responsibilities went up, uh, new opportunities presented themselves. So we end up having to relocate for some of those opportunities a couple of times. And with every relocation and an opportunity came more, um, a richer job, essentially. So, and we always, we kind of maintain our lifestyle almost constant. Like we leave with 90,000 a year, a hundred thousand a year. That's it. And we make three times that. So it's the essence is really leave below your means not spend not overspend so as as we progressed professionally we end up having larger incomes and more responsibilities but our lifestyle didn't grow disproportionately now obviously with two kids now we have more expenses but it wasn't like you know we doubled our income and our expenses didn't double they pretty much stayed flat over the years yeah so that that career growth and your income growth uh, I'm curious on are those opportunities that you sought out or did they seek you how were you able to raise your income and and kind of be promoted in your in your job so quickly I think it's a combination of both I mean I I was very intentional about you know working uh, smart working hard uh, always doing more than it's being asked um so in developing networks you know very powerful networks that helps so you're always uh, helping people out when they're needing uh, opportunities. So later on, you can be helped when you're the one needing it. So through networking, establishing strong relationships that carry over various years. Like I, I literally today, I work with someone that I've been worked with since 2007. So we've moved around together. You know, I would move, that person would move with me and so forth. So we've kind of established those close knit, uh, working relationships that kind of move along mm-hmm. over the years. Uh-huh. And yep. that, I think that's very critical. And then, you know, the, the increased income is a, is a, is a consequence. Now it's not the, the, the goal. You know, the goal is to always deliver more value. And getting paid more is, is a consequence of creating more value to the firms that I work with. Gotcha. So the 300 in debt that you paid off was most of that student loans from both you and your wife's MBA programs? Yeah. Well, hers we paid, we cash flowed as she was going through it. Um, but yeah, mine was, the majority of it was the house. We had my student loan a car and I owed some money to a rich uncle that, that I borrowed from my family. So I would say probably of the 300, 220 was the house. The rest of it were the MBA and the cars and my uncle. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. So, so then you, you found the job and you kind of just kept moving up and you kept adding value. You got promoted, you switched jobs. I mean, it's, it's really remarkable. What does your wife do? She works as well? Um, she now works at our home, taking care of as a full-time mom. She takes care of our two kids. They're six and four. Prior to that, she was working at another financial institution as well um, after she finished her MBA. So when we had our first kid, we, we kind of decided that one income was more than enough for what we needed. Um, so she has been staying at home with them. Uh, eventually, I knowing my wife, I'm pretty sure she will want to come back to the workforce. But right now, that's not the case. But yeah. At what point, we normally ask this at the end, but I think it fits in. How old were you when you became a millionaire? Let's see. Um, 39. It was in Okay, so that's young. In your 30s. Yeah. 2000, yeah. I'm sorry, 2017. 39. And most of it at that point, right? You didn't own any real estate, I guess, besides your primary home at that point. So most of it was just, was not just, but most of it was invested in the markets, correct? 
Exactly. Yeah. At that point, it was primarily just mutual funds and the primary home that we had paid. Yeah. And then, yeah, oh, the investment real estate was added later. Okay. And so then you added real estate, you said last year, right? In 2019 was your first property? 2019 and 2020, yeah. Okay. So what made you say, hey, I want to start dabbling into real estate? The Well, I've always enjoyed real estate. Um, my dad uh, is an engineer and he loves construction. So I, my whole life, I've learned a lot from him uh, about building and properties and everything. But I never, once we started the, the Dave Ramsey method, we intentionally delay that until after we're done with all the consumer debt and, all, and the mortgage. So we kind of knew what to do, but we were waiting on. So um, part of the reason why I waited until 2019 uh, to start is because I wanted to accumulate enough to be able to pay cash uh, for it. And the other reason was we wanted to diversify. You know, we kind of felt that as the stock market was gaining tremendous uh, returns in 2018, 2019, we felt like it was kind of due for a correction at one point. So we don't want to, we didn't want to be totally concentrated on one uh, asset class. So we wanted to diversify a little bit, which helped. I mean, obviously with this COVID-19 thing, we, we saw some drop, but the real estate piece kind of held. It's being, you know, it's holding so far. So it helped with diversifying and minimizing the paper losses that we're seeing right now. Awesome. Good for you. And so your your real estate properties, you have two. Tell us a little bit about those and, and how much they cash flow. They're cash flowing right now about 4% a year free after expenses and everything. So about $5,000 a year. And they're located- 5000 each or that's in total? Oh, total. Yeah. They're worth 130 k okay. combined. So 4% of that, it's about $5,000 a year. Uh, it's not a lot. I mean, it, it's more for diversification right now. But mm-hmm. it's it's pretty much there's no debt associated with it, and that's that's what's net in our pockets after that. Sure. Um, we um, so you asked about them a little bit more. So we our strategy there it's basically very focused. I, I like to do things you know simple. You know, just find a, a method that works and just stick to it. So for real estate, the we focus on residential. You know, single families and condos, good neighborhoods, good schools, two to three bedrooms. We don't like big stuff. And then in the range of 1,500 square feet around that, that nothing very big, that's easy to rent. And then, of course, we, we pay cash for all of it. Okay. And so are both of those properties that you have near to where you live or are they are they somewhere else? No, they're in Brazil. They're in Brazil. Near oh, they're my, in Brazil. Yeah. My, my father lives in Brazil and they're like in the same street that he leaves. Oh wow. Which, wow! which is an interesting story too, because with this financial crisis we're in right now, exchange rates have been disrupted tremendously. So the U.S. dollar is extremely strong right now. So the exchange rate is extremely favorable. So we took advantage of that just recently and bought the second property uh, at an exchange rate that was extremely favorable. That wouldn't happen in normal conditions. So. That's another benefit of diversifying. I'm not a, necessarily a big fan of long distance landlording, but this one, you know, it's it's literally next door to my my father's and my mom's house, so they can sure. help managing that for us. And then we are we grew up in Brazil, that same place that I grew, so I know the neighborhood really well. That makes me comfortable with it. And do you ever think about buying where you currently live, or you prefer to just buy in Brazil? Uh. I haven't decided that. Um, when we think about retirement, we think about retiring in Brazil. So in a couple more years, that will be our home. So the properties will be close to our home. 
but for right now, we we found a good way to manage it. You know, we go there at least once a year and we have family there. So it is long distance, but it doesn't feel as much that way because we have that support network there. Daniel, let me ask, where do you kind of go from here? I mean, do you have a target net worth that you're trying to hit or passive <sighs> income? I mean, you talked about retirement a little bit. You're young. Everything's paid for. What's next? Uh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I wanted to be able to kind of stop corporate life around 50. You know, I'm 42 now, so almost 43, so another seven years, six and a half years. And from that point, kind of just work for the fun of it and for something meaningful that, you know, like a cause or something. I don't know precisely yet, but I, I set like more a target in terms of age than dollar target. As long as we can be financially independent, have enough passive income to cover expenses around that age, I probably will uh, move on to something more part-time at the time and then spend more time being a, a better daddy and, you know, spend more time with my kids. I'm hoping at that point they'll be, what, teenagers, so they'll be in a critical age. And, and that that's kind of what we are envisioning here. But I haven't yet stopped to kind of draw, uh, define a goal in terms of dollars. I'm thinking more in terms of generating enough passive income at age 50 that I can live with uh, in perpetuity and then just pursue other activities that are not corporate life. What, what would be well, that amount? Let's see. If my math is right... Probably somewhere between 2.5 and 3 million invested that can generate, you know, 4% would generate what, 90,000 a year? So you're, you're, a year. you're thinking 4% rule of withdrawn on the portfolio? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Okay. So I can help portfolio about 2.5 million and withdraw 4%. That's 100K, right? Yeah. That's yeah. pretty much what we spent today. But since we're planning on spending part time in another country, perhaps my wife still debates that with me, <laughs> the, that could be even lower depending on the exchange rate. Yeah, totally. So my next question is, if you're, if you're trying to get to that point in eight years, what are you doing now in terms of investing the money that, that, that is excess over what your living expenses cost now? How much is going into retirement accounts versus how much you might put into the next rental property, let's say? So the current strategy is basically we put in somewhere between 15 and 20% of our income in monthly income in, in mutual funds and retirement accounts. And as far as bonuses, usually 30 to 40% goes to investments. And the way we manage the portfolio is that it all goes to mutual funds. And we try to try to stick with a handful like six or seven very, very strong mutual funds that um, have been around returning at least 12% a year uh, for a long time. And by long time, I mean 20, 30 years, right? We we look for like the marathon versus the sprint, right? Um, long track record. I have one fund, for example, in our portfolio that's older than me, right? It's 47 years old, since 1973 that has been uh, returning over 13% a year annualized that long. Other fund that we have is 36 years old. Fund has been around since 1984. So that's the kind of funds that we look for. And there's can, not can you give us them, an example? So. Yeah, what, what what is one of those funds that we can go look up and and, and see it? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Well, the disclosure here, I'm not giving financial advice. To- totally, yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. But, you know, every, Dave Ramsey's one of them and, and other people tout it. And, I, hey, I, I'll throw it out there too. Like I've got a fund that, I, that I've been invested in for a while that I think is in that same right. I think it probably started in the 80s, which is older than me. Yep. And and I've gotten, you know, a 12% plus return over, over the years I've invested in it. But everybody always scrutinizes these these things. So, for for the whole world, it's not financial advice, but what's the fun that, that or just give us one of them that, that yeah, I'll cho- your favorite. Two of my favorites. Yeah, perfect. Two of my favorites. Um, one is called the Growth Fund of America. Okay. G T H X. Yep. That's from 1973, and the other one is called F O C P X Fidelity O T C over the counter. That's been around since 1984. Uh, those are all. You know, available in the big uh, investment shops, yep. you know, Fidelity, Schwab and everything. And how we found out about them, because those are tricky to find. So we actually, you know, used an advisor at one point to help us do the research. That individual was very helpful, very knowledgeable, helped me find these. And they charge a, a load. I think one of them charged a load. But if you do the math, if you think, you know, over 50, almost 50 years, 40 something years, that initial load you pay, it's well um, compensated by additional returns over a very long period of time. So it's well worth it. The, and like I said, we found that through an advisor that helped us with the research. And once we established that, uh, we haven't really needed much of an advisor. Um, I basically just do everything myself and I try to keep it simple. You know, just only six or seven funds in total. And, um, I like it. I, I, I like reading about business, finance, investment. So I, to me, it's not, doesn't feel like work at all. Yeah, totally. And just, just for our listeners, I mean, I just, I didn't know he was going to tell us that fun. I pulled into to, to Morningstar and sure enough, total return since inception, 13.35%. So they, they are there out go. there, even if they're far and few between. No, I think that's awesome. So you're maxing out the retirement accounts. You're putting additional money in, in taxable accounts in the market with bonus money. Yeah, yeah. We typically, you know, at our income level, we would max out the pre-tax and then we put the extra on, on after tax. So total 20% of our income. And then any bonuses, we try to save at least 30 to 40%. Uh, we, we put them in mutual funds. We, we watch them grow, uh, after tax. And then, um, as we find opportunities in real estate, we take that after tax money and buy property cash. And, and no money going into any Roth accounts, correct? Uh, we have, we have, uh, part of the pretext, uh, is, uh, I'm sorry, not Roth. No, you're right. No Roth. It's okay. just 401ks and pretext. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So my next question is if you're, if you're putting money into the market with the intent of going and turning it into to some sort of real estate play, are you keeping it in there for, let's just say less than a year or two. So you're kind of riding volatility that like might be happening right now, or what's kind of the strategy in terms of putting it in the market to get a little bit of a return and then dump it into real estate pretty soon thereafter. Yeah. That's an excellent question. We're always in uh, research mode in real estate. So I'm always creating a list of interesting properties that I may or may not buy. And I let the money grow in the market. Uh, it's being for right now, given the profile that we look to buy in real estate, it has taken about a year to grow enough to buy each one. So we bought one in 2019, which it took a year to build. So since 2018 and another one in 2020. So my expectation is in 2021, we could buy a third one with the growth from this year. So it's being about a year in between each one of them. 
obviously, you know, market returns could shorten that cycle a little bit um, or substantially. We don't know. But the other variable that we watch is because we're buying them in, in another country that we plan to retire on. The exchange rate is another thing that I watch. So sometimes the exchange rate can have these big disruptions and jump quickly, like jump this year, almost 40%, which then opens up an opportunity faster than we anticipated. So we then go buy faster. Awesome. Yeah, it's interesting, right? And and I think about that in your real estate too, right? That's kind of something interesting to think about is, is owning in a foreign country and thinking about how different currency affects it. So Interesting. I want to read something, Daniel, that you sent us uh, before the show and, and just kind of get your take on it. And, and one thing you talk about or hit on in a couple of times in the notes that we talked about is how important it is for for one and their spouse to be on the same page. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you said an important piece is if you're married to get your spouse on board. Personal finances is a team sport and it's difficult to make progress when you and your spouse are not on the same page on goals and philosophy towards towards money. So talk a little bit about that. Why has that been so important for you? And, and how can one or somebody go about being on the same page financially with their spouse? Uh, in our experience, it was, um, you know, we, we, we went with the Dave Ramsey thing, right? The baby steps and, and that methodology. And, you know, which means we chose to have our accounts together. We share everything. And the compatibility with your spouse is very important because it, you, you have to be on the same page. So if, if we're living on, on, a, on a budget that has certain uh, allocations in certain categories and you're constantly fighting over money, that's not going to be worth doing it. You know, no, no amount of net worth accumulation is going to be uh, superior to a good marriage, a good relationship. So you, you have to aim at both. Um, have a strong marriage, have a strong relationship with somebody that you love, you want to spend your life with, and do well financially along the process, not one instead of the other. They're not mutually exclusive. But it's really, I've seen over and over again, couples that uh, fight over money and it seems to be one of the most common reasons for divorce is money problems. So that's why I highlighted it in the in the in the questions you guys sent in advance because part of what enabled us to be uh, successful with our strategy is that we agree on it and we agree on how we use our money. The giving part is very important for us. We're both Christians so we we tied and we give above and beyond the the ten percent from the top. And we chose to leave um, a, a low-profile lifestyle. You know, we we prefer to have less things and things that are more affordable and, and the freedom that it, it brings. So when I look at that, it, it's nearly in my mind, it's it's it has to be done as a team sport because you know it involves two people coming together and agreeing on, on, on life principles essentially. So that's why I said you know. It is that important. I think part of our story here is a story of two people with um, common faith and a belief system uh, towards generosity and towards how we use the money that's being provided to us uh, and how we we what we do with it. That's what it boils down to. Yeah, I really like that. And 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 you in our question of what advice would you give to a thirty year old or somebody who's just starting their financial journey, that was the first piece of information you gave. So. Really commendable, and then obviously commendable that you give. You said you say in, in your notes here about twelve percent of your gross income away, 
right? Mm -hmm. That's right. So, yep. so, so thank you for that. It's generous, obviously. What other advice, Daniel, just in closing here, and then we'll finish up with some rapid fire questions, but what other general advice would you give to somebody who's, who's maybe just starting out on their journey or younger than you and, and comes to you and seeks some financial advice? What would you tell them? Yeah, that's a good question. So uh, obviously the spouse and the giving, um, very important. I would also say, you know, minimize consumer debt as much as possible. You know, the U.S. is country, a society that puts a lot of pressure towards, you know, owning things. The American way of life sometimes can get people, you know, with the wrong focus. So we try to recommend, if I were to talk to my 30-year version of me, I would say, borrow as as little as possible and if you do need to borrow pay off as fast as possible um i would also say to pay off your mortgage as early as possible you know that's one of the key things to wealth accumulation is not have a big mortgage payment simply a lot of what our net worth has been built on is just taking the mortgage payment and investing it every month for years so we don't give it to the bank we give it to ourselves and it just grows so that is one thing. Get rid of the mortgage. Have an emergency fund, three to six months of expenses, because this whole concept about a stable job doesn't exist anymore. So I've been let go from jobs and I had to go find other jobs. So I think it happens. It could happen to anybody. So that's insurance, that peace of mind that comes with knowing that you can weather the storm with that cushion is very important. Leave a, a modest, uh, frugal lifestyle, lifestyle but you know, give yourself some space for good things. You know, we, we live a very frugal style. We shop at regular uh, stores, you know, Target, Costco, Aldi's, Walmart. But we also do nice things, you know. Uh, we eat at nice restaurants, you know, occasionally. We'll go to have a $200 meal. Uh, we live in a nice neighborhood. We flew business class when needed. Um, I gave my parents business class tickets to come visit us. Um but we do all of that with cash or money that we know we have, we can spend. It doesn't become uh, something we put on a credit card and then struggle to pay off later. That's the key. No debt. And then the last piece is to, you know, in these days, it wasn't much like that, you know, 17 years ago uh, when I came here. But now uh, watch how much time you spend on social media and just watching TV. I mean, it, I, I think there's tremendous pressure, peer pressure, you know, to compare yourself with other people their cars their vacations their houses and that leads to a lot of temptation and and to overspend and, and make unwise choices financially so what i tell people instead and what i try to do i'm not perfect you know I, I fall to that sometimes but i try to tell people just pick a book or just sit down have a cup of coffee talk to your spouse talk to your kids one of the things that i love to do most these days is just sit, sit on the floor and play with my boys you know they're my six-year-old and my four-year-old much better than spend time online scrolling on an endless feed you know watching what other people are doing those will be the things yeah really good really good thank you i appreciate you sharing that so just in, just in closing here i'm going to ask you some rapid fire questions what's the most expensive pair of pants you've ever purchased you know i would say 25 dollars at costco okay uh, most expensive car Twenty-five thousand dollars minivan paid cash for it Okay, most expensive meal out that you've personally paid for? $300, one I think was one of our anniversaries a couple of years ago. Okay, what items or experiences have been worth spending more money on to you? Travel, you know, we flew business class when we went to um, visit our family in Brazil last time and that was a good 
experience. Just tra- traveling is something that we we like to do. You know, just sure taking a couple of days and just go to a nice place and provide the boys with the experience that uh, we would like them to see. Yeah, and then on the flip side of that, what's not been worth the money? What, what are you really trying to save on? Uh, good question. Um, I would say what I try to avoid is like, although I it's it's kind of funny that I say this, but Although I am in technology, I have a degree in computer science, but I try to avoid like this gadget buying every latest gadget. Like I have an iPhone that's probably four versions old. <laughs> the I don't I'm I'm very conservative in terms of buying technology and cars is the other thing. I like cars, I like engines, I like driving, but I you know I drive a pretty inexpensive car that I've had for five years and never broke. And I pretend mm-hmm. to drive it until it breaks. So that those are the things that as a as a man and I think many men will associate with this. It's electronic gadgets and cars is where the temptation is. <laughs> yeah. And I think then now we've gone through some of these. So what age were you when you became a millionaire? You said thirty nine. Thirty yeah, thirty nine is yeah, right. Thirty nine predicted uh, retirement age, you said fifty, right? Is That's my goal, yeah. Or at least kind of shut it down a little bit or mm-hmm. slow it down rather. You've mm-hmm. used a, a financial advisor just briefly, right, to kind of help you research some of the stocks you mentioned. That's right. Uh, annual household spending, you said about a hundred. Is that right? Yeah, about a hundred k a year. Yep. Okay, and then I know you're you're an avid reader, right? You, you mentioned that you've you've read a lot of good books um, on finance and sorts. What what kind of what books have stood out to you? Uh, I I read a lot and I buy a lot a lot of books. Um, I love reading. The one of my fi- couple favorite ones. Um, Millionaire Next Door. I think folks on your show have said that many, many times. It's definitely on the top of the list. Uh, from the same author, uh, there's another book called The Millionaire Mind. Those are very good ones. They help get my mindset correct early on. I'm a big fan of Dave Ramsey. So the Financial Peace University materials are good. We went through the Financial Peace University class a long time ago. He's got a book called The Legacy Journey. That's very good about... It's very proper for when you get to that stage where giving becomes very important. You know, you're in a position to make extravagant giving that really makes a difference in people's lives. So I love that book. Um, there's one called Intelligent Investor. That's classical one. It's been around for decades. Think and Grow Rich is another one that I read in my 20s that's ticked to my mind. And there's one that I, I really love, and it's more, I use more into business in, in career type conversations. It's called crucial conversations. And it talks about, uh, it helps you understand, you know, how to conduct strategic conversations in, in business settings. You know, it's, it's when it involves negotiation, when it involves standing firm, when your values are being challenged. I had to do that a couple of times in my life where you really have to draw the line and say, you know, this is not acceptable, and here's what we're going to do about it. So those are right. some of my favorite ones. But I mean, I've got literally hundreds of books <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that I've read yeah. over the years. But those top six, seven are my favorite ones. Awesome, awesome. So just in closing here, last question: What does it mean to you to be fulfilled or to be happy? And and does this money in this financial journey, right? You're at a net worth of 1.6. You were at 1.7. So you'll you'll obviously get over two or three, right, in your lifetime, even if you stop working in the next several years. But what does it mean to be happy and fulfilled to you? And, and has money brought that to you along this along the way? Uh, that's profound. Um, I think there's two, two things that are unrelated to money that meet my definition. I think one is freedom. It's, it's having the freedom to, 
to decide what to do with your time. I think that's more important than money. Money obviously helps get there, but the freedom itself is, in my opinion, more important. And then purpose, you know, why we do what we do, you know, knowing that I work hard and I save hard because I want to have more freedom or I want to be able to spend more time with my, my family, my wife or my kids. And the purpose why we give, you know, the faith that, you know, why we give the way we give. Um, I think those two aspects, you know, freedom and purpose, I think are top higher on our list than the money itself. I think if I can find freedom and purpose with less money, I would, I would trade that. I would do that. Yeah. And I, I know I said last question, but I'm just curious to ask you All one right. more here because I was sure. thinking about your story overall. So you're at, you're at 1.6, right? You're, you're in your young 40s. You paid off over $300,000 in student loans. It's, it's pretty amazing. But when you first came here from Brazil, you said you had about 10,000 bucks, right? And your first job was $60,000. So That's right. did you did you and your wife ever on this journey, right? As you start paying off $300,000, I mean, it's so much money, right? In debt. Did, did you ever get discouraged? How did you kind of keep the focus? Was, was it Dave Ramsey yeah. and hearing stories? How did you not get discouraged? And how did you keep fighting to pay that off? Because it's obviously remarkable. Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, it took seven years to go through the mountain of debt. Um, yeah, it, it takes some, you know, it takes some focus. I think the, I was at, uh, and I still am. I mean, I listen to the Dave Ramsey podcast a lot, hearing those stories and people that have paid their mountains of debt, sometimes even bigger. Uh, it was very encouraging, you know, and hearing stories of folks like I heard in your show and other podcasts, you know, they're, in their 30s, in their 40s, and they have the freedom that I want to have. Uh, that's what kept me going, you know. And like I said, connecting the dots with what I said in the beginning of this conversation, uh, having a spouse that's on the same page is fundamental because I don't think I would have been able to keep the focus and do what we were able to do if we had to fight along the way, you know. And, and unfortunately, there's a lot of stories out there where spouses are not on the same page, and that can be a problem. Yeah. Yeah, well, thank you. You know, I appreciate your answer and, and congratulations on your success to both you and your wife and your family. So thank obviously you. awesome. So again, everybody, that's Daniel net worth of 1.6 was 1.7 just before this Corona. So you'll be there very shortly paid off over $300,000 in debt. Really amazing. And has, has really been able to grow his career and, and income. So thanks again so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much. Appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.